This is the Tao of Christ, and I am Marshall Davis. In this episode, I'll be reading Chapter 5, The Power of Negative Thinking, from my book, Experiencing God Directly, The Way of Christian Non-Duality. Chapter 5, The Power of Negative Thinking. In the Hebrew Scriptures, non-duality is most clearly seen in the wisdom tradition. Of the wisdom literature, the book that ponders it most deeply is Ecclesiastes. The book opens with the famous words, Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. This refrain is repeated throughout the book. The Hebrew word traditionally rendered vanity is rendered in other translations as meaningless, futility, or pointless. The best translation is emptiness. Emptiness, emptiness, all is emptiness. The Hebrew word is hebel. It literally means breath or vapor. It refers to that which is insubstantial, impermanent, or transitory. The Hebrew word is used more often in Ecclesiastes than all the rest of the Bible combined. The author of Ecclesiastes, identified in the book simply as the preacher or the teacher, traditionally identified as King Solomon, proclaims the transient nature of existence. Everything is impermanent, and therefore nothing has eternal substance. The book is an exhaustive examination of every aspect of human life. At the conclusion of each investigation, he pronounces that this too is emptiness and grasping for the wind. The physical world is seen through. Human nature is seen through. The wisdom psalms communicate the same message. Yes, every mortal man is only a vapor. Certainly man walks about like a mere shadow at Psalm 39, 5 and 6. Men are only a vapor, exalted men, an illusion. Weighed in the scales, they go up. Together they are less than a vapor at Psalm 62, 9. The word translated vapor in these psalms is the same Hebrew word hebel, emptiness. Ecclesiastes declares that the world and man's true nature are emptiness. This has led many people to conclude that Ecclesiastes is a pessimistic book. It has been called a book of existential angst and despair. I recently heard a Christian call it the most depressing book of the Bible, but that is to see it from a modern materialistic point of view. The truth of emptiness proclaimed in Ecclesiastes is not meant to depress the reader. It is intended to point the reader beyond the material and psychological worlds. Emptiness is not bad, it is simply true. And if it is true, how can truth be bad? It just points us beyond what is not real to that which is real. The Emptiness of Christ The Apostle Paul wrote, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, as Philippians 2, 5-8. through 8. Christian theology f- refers to this emptying by the Greek term kenosis. 
It means to make empty or make void. In traditional Christology, it describes the incarnation. To become a human being, the eternal God had to empty himself. It is also used of the cross. Christ emptied himself in the sense of humbling himself to die on a cross. The corresponding Christian virtue is humility. It is taking the lowest possible position. The Tao Te Ching describes it as the way of water. The supreme good is like water which nourishes all things without trying to. It is content with the low places that people disdain. Thus it is like the Tao, as Tao Te Ching, chapter 8. The mind of Christ is emptiness. This is the mind from which the universe was created. It was spoken into existence by the mind of Christ. All things were made through him. Without him nothing was made that was made, according to John 1.3. Christians are instructed to have this mind of Christ. In another place, the same apostle tells us that we already have the mind of Christ, as 1 Corinthians 2.16 it is just a matter of identifying with and living from that mind. This statement comes at the end of a chapter that describes spiritual seeing, which I would also call non-dual seeing. The Apostle Paul quotes the wisdom tradition of the Old Testament several times in this passage. It is worth quoting in its entirety. Paul says, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that comes from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to mere human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 through 16. This passage speaks of the incommunicable nature of spiritual awareness. Non-dual wisdom cannot be seen with the eye, nor heard with the ear, nor conceived by the human mind. It is communicated directly from spirit to spirit, from divine nature to human nature. It cannot be taught in human words, but only taught by the spirit. It has no content, and hence it is empty. And yet this emptiness holds all things within it. This is the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. 
Eat, drink, chop wood, carry water. According to Ecclesiastes, the human expression of emptiness is found in ordinariness. A refrain that runs throughout the book is that when one realizes the emptiness at the heart of existence, the result is a return to the ordinary. This is not the emptiness of despair, as conventional commentators interpret the book. This is an awakening to the joyful sacredness of the ordinary. Ecclesiastes says, Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also, I saw, was from the hand of God. That's Ecclesiastes 2.24. Every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. It is the gift of God. That's 3.13. Here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him. For it is his heritage. That's Ecclesiastes 5.18. So I commended it enjoyment. Because a man is nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life which God gives him under the sun. That's 8.15. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already accepted your works. Ecclesiastes 9.7 The Zen proverb says, Before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Ecclesiastes would say, before realizing emptiness, eat, drink, work. After realizing emptiness, eat, drink, work. The only difference is that when awakens to wisdom, there is abiding joy. Everything is seen as a gift. Don't take yourself seriously. Awakening to the true nature of existence reveals a transient nature of the human self. We are nothing more than a wisp of mist disappearing in the breeze of time. This is a common theme in the wisdom psalms. My days are like a shadow that lengthens, and I wither away like grass, but you, O Lord, shall endure forever. That's Psalm 102, 11 and 12. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. That's Psalm 103, 15 through 17. The Judeo-Christian tradition would not go so far as to say that the human self does not exist. Neither would it say that the world is an illusion. Historians of religion consider traditionally Western religions to be world-affirming and this-worldly, in contrast to the world-denying and other-worldly character of the Eastern religious traditions. For Christians, the world is real, and the human self is real, but they are only real in a relative sense. They are not real in an absolute sense. They have no independent, lasting existence apart from God. They exist now only by the command of God spoken into the void. 
Indeed, in the Old Testament, there is no afterlife for the personal self. The teacher of Ecclesiastes says, I said in my heart concerning the condition of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man is no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and all return to dust. Who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal, which goes down to the earth? So I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. That's Ecclesiastes 3, 18-22. In the wisdom tradition, humans are temporary phenomena. Wisdom is found in realizing this directly. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom, says Psalm ninety twelve. In the New Testament, afterlife is clearly taught, but not in the sense that most Christians imagine. Examples of personal souls arriving at the pearly gates which are so prevalent in St. Peter jokes and the popular understanding of heaven, are missing from the Christian scriptures. Those who inhabit the biblical scenes of heaven are curiously free of individuality. The people in heaven in Revelation are clearly representative and symbolic. With the exception of the fictional character of the rich man, in Jesus' parable of Lazarus and the rich man, There are no examples in scripture of identifiable persons in heaven. And with this parable, one must remember that both the rich man and Lazarus are fictional characters. Even then, the fictional Lazarus does not have a speaking part in the story. In fact, the character who is most identifiable as an individual in the story is the rich man, and he is in Hades. Ego is hell, and heaven is is egolessness. There are some examples of persons in Scripture who temporarily visit heaven while still alive on earth, such as the narrator of the book of Revelation. But this is a literary technique like Dante visiting hell, purgatory, and paradise in the Divine Comedy. What John experienced in the book of Revelation is more akin to a near-death experience than an after-death experience. Believers certainly do inherit eternal life. Believers do not cease to be at death. That is a clear and consistent teaching of the New Testament. But they leave themselves behind when they enter the kingdom of heaven. They must empty their hands of the things of earth, including their earthly selves, in order to receive eternal life. Eternal life is God's divine life. People have to leave their human shell behind to enter it. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.50. Jesus taught that one can only take as much into the kingdom of God as will fit through the eye of a needle. That is a poetic way of saying we can take nothing from earthly life into eternal life. That includes the psychological self that we have so laboriously built. We can take with us only what we brought into this world. For we brought nothing into the world, and we certainly can't carry anything out 
That's First Timothy 6-7. We did not bring ourself into this world, and we cannot take ourself out. We survive death, but not in the way we commonly think, because we are not who we think we are. There is eternal life, but the egocentric personality does not inherit it. The self must die for us to live. Then what survives death? The spirit of man in union with the spirit of God, we survive in Christ. The individual believer is described by the Apostle Paul as being in Christ, one in Christ, united with Christ. We are no longer separate from Christ. We only live in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, says Paul in Galatians 2.20. What survives is our true self in Christ. But God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 2.6. Indeed, this eternal life was true before our birth. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's Ecclesiastes 1, 3, and 4. Heaven is a place without suffering. That is also the clear teaching of Scripture. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Revelation 21, 4. The source of suffering is the self. It must die for us to live without suffering. Human being is emptied of the human. What remains is being. Emptiness is filled with the fullness of Christ. This fullness is eternal life. Will we be conscious after death? Yes, consciousness is our true nature. We will be who we truly are now only freed from the temporal body and psyche. Conscious joy of being is eternal life. This is present now. We can enjoy eternal life before physical death. We have eternal life now. It is our birthright as children of God. Will we be reunited with our dearly departed loved ones? Oh my, of course, in a reunion with Christ, a union with God that is much more intimate than our earthly human relationships can ever be. To have a foretaste of this union now, we just need to not take ourselves so seriously. You have been listening to Experiencing God Directly, The Way of Christian Non-Duality. Next time I will be reading Chapter 6, The Wayless Way. As Meister Eckhart said, The wayless way is where the sons of God lose themselves and at the same time find themselves. You can find my podcast at thedowofchrist.com. You can find my blog and a link to my books at marshalldavis.us. Join me next time for another episode of The Tao of Christ.